would please turn in your pew Bibles to page 30, where there we find our scripture reading for this morning, Genesis chapter 21, verses 22 through 34. As you turn there, I'm going to pray for the Lord to bless Lord, uh, pray that you would open our hearts and our minds, enlighten us by the Holy Spirit, that we may see here in this, your word, the way in which you've called us to live by giving us grace in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy, inspired, and infallible word. At that time, Abimelech and Fickle, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me in the country where you are living as an alien the same kindness I have shown to you. Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me, and I heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves? He replied, Accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba because the two men swore an oath there. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Fickle, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. As far as the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands, hearts, and minds of his people. Genesis chapter 21, this treaty between Abimelech and Abraham, it's um, sort of an interesting passage. It seems like, what's the importance of this? Uh, why is this mentioned? Um, well, if you noticed, I, I named the sermon, In the World, Not of It. It's a phrase that comes from a particular scripture passage in the New Testament. Um, it's a phrase that's been used sort of like uh, WWJD. Um, in an appropriate manner, in an inappropriate manner, such catchphrases can be uh, kind of slung upon anything. Um, but if you look at uh, Genesis 21 here, and this treaty between uh, a pagan king and Abraham, uh, you can look at it in uh, sort of two ways. Uh, one is uh, in an institutional kind of way. This is a pagan kingdom uh, making a treaty with Abraham who is a descendant or who is representative of um, the people of God or uh, the way we would call that in the New Testament, the institutional church. So it helps us maybe to understand uh, the ways in which these two institu institutions are meant to interact or meant to treat each other, um, the state and the church. Um, another way that you could look at it is from a personal perspective. This is Abimelech, uh, a man, a king, 
having an, an interaction with Abraham. Abimelech is not a Christian. Abraham is a Christian. Um, how do Christians individually interact with the world? Uh, hence the term, in the world and not of it. Now there's uh, quite a few misunderstandings of what it means to be in the world and not of it. Um, one of the ways in which we can think of being in the world and not of it is, uh, is pulling from 1 John's condemnation, condem- condemnatory language of, of the world and say that we are meant to be separate from the world. And uh, the ways in which the church has done this separate from the world perspective is monasteries and monks and the, all the things that are in the world are evil. Um, maybe even uh, some ways that this is practiced today that you may be familiar with would be like the Amish people who cut themselves off from all electricity and uh, all modern technology and, uh, and because it's, they have to be separate from the world. Well, one representation of this that I encountered this week was I found a, a Christian woman, a, a parent, who rightfully had concern about uh, the kind of media that her children were participating in, and they sat down to watch this new movie uh, called Cruella. And Cruella is the uh, origin story of Cruella DeVille, the villain character from the animated movie 101 Dalmatians. How is it that this woman came to be so evil that she wanted to kill a bunch of Dalmatian dogs so she could make a coat out of them? And this woman thought, this is a harmless movie for my kids. 101 Dalmatians is a cute little movie. And so she watches it, and then she posts on Facebook, warning, warn all parents about this film. She, she says, my family and I rented this thinking it was similar to the 101 Dalmatians Disney type of Cruella. It was something lighthearted, somewhat nostalgic. First of all, what's lighthearted about a crazy woman who wants to kill 101 puppies, okay? It's not. It's a very dark rendition of Cruella glorifying the devil at every twist. Remember, her name is Cruella DeVille. Cruel devil, okay? That's, that's her name. It, that was her name. And 101 Dalmatians too, right? Uh, she, she continues on. In the beginning, as an adult, it was entertaining and interesting uh, take at how Cruella became who she is. Um, I'm also a huge fan of the, the actress. However, it began to get darker and more evil as the film continued. They kept repeating that Deville means devil and ended with Cruella changing the name of the chateau to the Hell Hall. They do not write her name as Deville, D-E-V-I-L-L-E, but change it to D-E-V-I-L. The lyrics to the theme song say this, call me crazy, call me insane, but you're stuck in the past, I'm ahead of the game. A life lived in penance, it just seems a waste, and the devil has much better taste. I tried to be sweet, I tried to be kind, but I feel much better now that I'm out of my mind. Well, there's always a line at the gates of hell. And she basically continues to go on and say, this is manipulative, this movie is trying to suck our kids into things concerning the devil and so on and so forth, and so stay away from it. That's her version of being in the world, not of it, right? It's to warn all of you that you should not watch this movie. That's one perspective, and granted, I'm not saying we should let our kids, or we should personally, watch whatever we want to watch, 
Um, but that is one perspective on being in the world and not of it. Is to be in the world, but to protect ourselves because everything is a threat. Right? Well, I would like to take Genesis 21 and sort of use that maybe as an example for how it should be done. Right? How it should be done. So Christians are to be in the world, but not of the world. Uh, the first point that we're going to look at is an, an oath is sworn. Verse 22 through 24, we read that Abimelech, you know, the one which Abraham already had an encounter with when he brought him and his family into Abimelech's land, and then he told Sarah, hey, say you're my sister again. And then Sarah was taken into Abimelech's household, and then Abimelech's household all came down with a sickness, and, um, and God appeared to Abimelech in a dream and said, you took a man's wife, and Abimelech said, I didn't know. And so that happened, right? And then Abimelech gives Sarah back, gives Abraham a bunch of stuff, and then uh, sends Abraham on his way. And he says, you can live here in the land, you know, just, uh, yeah, just be gone, okay? Well, Abimelech comes back because he, he begins to think that this man, who healed me because he interceded for me, he prayed for me, he's becoming a mighty man. And, and I want to have safety. So Abimelech... Um, brings the commander of his armies, and I would say that's sort of like a veiled threat, right? Like, hey, you know, I'm bringing my army with me. Uh, said to Abraham, acknowledging God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you are living as an alien the same kindness I have shown to you. And Abraham replied, I swear it. Now, the, uh, the, the thing that I want us to take away from this interaction is the concept of mutual respect. Now, I'm going to look at this as much as I possibly can from the institutional perspective of the state and the church, right? Because Abimelech and Abraham are representatives of those spheres of sovereignty or institutions, but I'm also going to apply this on an individual basis because I think that the way, functionally, that that institutional boundary between the state and the church is worked out is through Christians' individual lives. Um, so institutionally, we could say in this encounter, the state and the church showed a sense of mutual respect to each other. Abimelech comes to Abraham, and he acknowledges that God is with this man. And he says to him, Now swear to me that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. And he says, Remember that I have shown you kindness during the time that you stayed in my land. You are an alien in the land. You are a sojourner. You don't belong here, but I respect you. I have shown respect to you. I have shown honor to you. Will you give me the same? Okay? Now, I'd like to say that in our, our day and age, that kind of mutual respect shown between the institution of the state and the church is very much lacking. Very much lacking. And, and one thing that I will say about that is that I think in very many ways, the church has forgotten who she is. 
The church does not see herself institutionally on the same level as the state. But in the economy of God, God is sovereign over both, and both are on the same level. Both are on the same level. One is given the sword. One is given the sword of the Spirit. One pertains to physical matters. One pertains to spiritual matters, but they have the same authority for differing, level, for differing spheres, okay? Um, so there's not mutual respect, but I think a lot of that is because the church has forgotten who she is. But this is how I would apply it to the uh, individual perspective. How do we as Christians be in the world and not of the world um, in our daily lives? How do we as Christians interact with people who are not Christians? Right? So people, some people have said being in the world and not of the world means, uh, means what? It means be careful who you hang out with. Bad company corrupts good morals. Completely agree with that, right? But let me give you uh, let me give you an example of what Paul meant when he said, "In the world, not of the world." In First Corinthians chapter five, Paul is beginning to talk about how in the church in Corinth there is a man who has his his hus- his father's wife. Okay. And that they are boasting about this. But listen to how Paul uh, ends this uh, condemnation. uh, Ends this uh, description of church discipline. Expel that immoral brother. Get that uh, immoral brother out of the church uh, so that he may be saved. So that um, he may be restored if he repents. This is what Paul says in verse 9. I have written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you'd have to leave this world. But now I am writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother, but is sexually immoral, greedy, an idolater, a slanderer, a drunkard, or swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. So some Christians say in the world and not of the world means you don't hang out with anybody who is immoral. You don't hang out with anybody who sins. You only hang out with Christians. Well, besides the fact that when you hang out with Christians, you're hanging out with sinners. Paul says, I'm not saying don't hang out with the sexually immoral in the world. Don't spend time with them. Because if that were the case, you would have to leave the world. So how do we as Christians interact with non-Christians in the world? Well, on the institutional level, it's mutual respect. Well, I would say on the individual level, that mutual respect is grounded in the fact that every single person you encounter is made in the image of God. Do you think that because somebody is not a Christian that they're, they're less worthy of respect? Less worthy of dignity? Less worthy of receiving your kindness, your gentleness, your love, your concern? Well, in that case, then you've forgotten that the same image that you're made in, they are made in. And that is what Abraham and Abimelech as individuals are doing in this moment. They are treating each other with mutual respect because they're both made in the image of God. Abraham is acknowledging that Abimelech, even though he is a pagan king, 
is made in the image of God and worthy of dignity and respect, okay? The second one uh, point that we have this morning is that a treaty is made, verse 25 through 31. After Abraham swears uh, to uh, uh, to, to like before God that he'll not deal falsely with him and his descendants, Abraham makes a complaint. He makes a complaint to Abimelech about a well of water that Abraham had made, that Abraham was using for him and his family and his needs, and that Abimelech's servants had violently taken from him, seized. That's, that word seized connotes that kind of violence, uh, that they had taken that from him. And Abimelech says, I, I didn't know anything about this. This is the first I've heard of it. And so he's, Abimelech is saying, if this has occurred, it's not been done uh, by my appointment, by my saying, you go take that well from Abraham. If this has been done, it's been without my knowledge, okay? Um, and so Abraham brought sheep and cattle, gave them to Abimelech. This is the way you would do treaties in the ancient times. You would uh, uh, trade, uh, you would give cattle, or you would give livestock. And the two men made a treaty. And Abraham then took seven ewe lambs and separated them from the rest of the, of the uh the livestock. And Abimelech asked Abraham, what's the meaning of these seven lambs you've set apart by themselves? Uh, and he replied, accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. This is the well that I dug. This was my well. And so that place was called Beersheba because the two men swore an oath there. Uh, and, uh, and really what I would like to, to say that this is depicting is that there are some situations, there are some Cases on the institutional level between the state and the church uh, where we can work together because there are shared interests. Now, here in this moment, those shared interests between Abimelech and Abraham are peace and justice. Abraham does not want to have any quarrel with Abimelech. So Abraham makes Abimelech aware that, did you know that some of your servants took this well from me. I dug this well. This is a well that me and my family were using. Do you know that this uh, happened? And Abimelech says, no, I did not know this. And so, in order to ensure peace, justice was pursued. Justice, in this case, was giving back this well that Abimelech's servant, uh, without his knowledge, had taken from Abraham. At that day, time, in, that time uh, a well, a place where you knew you could find water, was essential, was deeply important. It was deeply important not only for the provision of the people that uh, Abraham provided for and cared for in his household, but also for his livestock, which was his, his wealth. And this, this well was stolen. And so a treaty is made, and this expresses on an institutional level that there are shared interests between the state and the church that they can work together on. Uh, uh, in this case, those two were peace and justice. Does that mean always that the state and the church should work together on peace and justice? Uh, no, only where uh, there can be no doubt that the thing which is being pursued um, is in line with God's word, with God's definition of peace and justice. And I would say, in our day and age, there's a lot of confusion about those realities. What is peace? Well, in our day and age, a lot of what peace means is just get along to get along. A lot of 
times in our day and age where peace means is we never have any disagreements. And so what you have is it seems like there is a, uh, a peace. There's a, a true meaning, a true reality of peace when, uh, when things like a church gathers together with uh, a group of Muslims and a group of Jews, and they're saying that we're one church now and we all worship the same God. Wow, that's peace. Or peace means when uh, religious leaders can gather from all over and, and uh, it doesn't matter if you believe that homosexual marriage is, is something that's blessed by God or if you believe that uh, God is unitarian and, and universal or it doesn't, you, that you believe that uh, God is a woman or you believe all these things, that we, we can all just get along to get along, coexist. That's peace from our uh, modern day and age, right? And, and, and justice, justice is, is so confused in our day and age today. What does justice mean? What is justice? How do you define justice? Um, uh, the, the government is, is saying a lot of things about justice in our day and age, and, and social justice, and, and, and uh, a lot of churches are, are jumping on board with their perspective of justice and what justice means for, uh, for, for all kinds of, of social issues, but they don't realize that the kind of justice that they're buying into is a non-biblical justice. It's a justice that's not founded on scripture. It's a justice that's founded on ideologies that do not bring justice, but bring division and hatred and, and, and violence. But that still does not mean that there are not times when church as an institution and the state as an institution can work together for shared interests. Well, how does this work out on an individual basis? On an individual basis, some people might say in the world but not of the world means that you cannot do mission work or ministry work or volunteer work for any organization that's not explicitly Christian. You shouldn't work for the Peace Corps or you shouldn't um, be in the military or you shouldn't do any of these kinds of things, right? Um, even if some of these things or institutions are, are doing good work, they're not explicitly Christian, so you shouldn't participate in that. But if there are organizations in the world who are seeking to do good, but they're not explicitly Christian. I would say that the way that an individual Christian lives in the world but not of the world is to say, yes, I know that this, this organization isn't explicitly Christian, but I'm a Christian. And so my doing this is for the glory of God and for Jesus Christ, uh, even though maybe not everybody who works in this uh, volunteer organization uh, is doing that for those explicit reasons. And it takes wisdom, doesn't it, to figure those kinds of uh, things out. It takes wisdom to figure out how you pursue peace and, and, and you go against injustice in this world, even if you're coming alongside things that are in the world and, and, and doing it in a way that still honors God and brings glory to God. In fact, I would say that in a very real sense, whenever you work at whatever job or calling God has given you, 
which I would assume many of you or most of you do not work at explicitly Christian companies or did not work at explicitly Christian companies in the past. When you worked hard for a paycheck, when you prayed during your lunch hour, when you brought your Bible to work, when you got that paycheck and you did well with that paycheck and you were able to give it to those who were in need, you are pursuing peace and justice alongside the world of not being of the world. You are living in the world, but in a way that is separate from the world. It's not like the world in every way. You're living for the kingdom of God in the world to come. Finally, the last thing that we read in this chapter, a tree planted. Verse 32 through 34, we see that after the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and the commander of his forces returned to the land of the Philistines, and Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. He called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God, and Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. Even though we are called to be in the world and not of the world as Christians, even though that means that uh, that means that the church as an institution will have to find a way to interact with the world, the state, in ways that are appropriate and ways that express um, uh, 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 an an appropriate respect uh, and ways that allow us to to work together and share interests. Even though as individuals we are called to be in the world, we, we are in the world, but we're not of the world. Uh, there is, at the end of the day, two separate ways, two separate paths. In John 17, Jesus prayed for his disciples prior to going to the crucifixion. And uh, he said this in verse 14 through 19. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayers is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. Uh, the two separate ways shown by Genesis 21... It's that Abimelech and the commander of his army went back to the land of the Philistines. They went back into the world. And as far as we know, they stayed in the world. And in the world, apart from God, the end result is death, it's condemnation. It's eternal condemnation. Destiny is hell, separated from the love of God because of your sin. But Abraham, he chose a separate way, a separate path. He planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba. He called upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God. This is the name worshipped, the the eternal God named here for the first time. Uh, Abraham chose a life as a pilgrim, a life as a sojourner, a life as somebody who knew that this world uh, was not the world that he was waiting for. It was not the world that he belonged to. 
That's why I, I like the word alien. You know, we use it a lot for uh, people who come into the country and who are not native to the country, but also alien uh, in the modern sense of uh, extraterrestrials, not of this world. There's a world that we belong to. We've been transferred out of this world. We belong to a world that is to come, a renewed world. A new heavens and a new earth. And Abraham, he expresses his citizenship in that world when he uh, plants this tree to, uh, to uh, uh, remembering, remembering this agreement. But he also calls upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God. God has worshipped and praised. Abimelech goes away not worshipping and praising God. Those two paths, uh, they converge at the cross. At the cross, when you come face to face, face with Jesus Christ, and you realize that on the cross, he died for your sins, and you either accept that, and you believe that, or you don't. That's when the paths point in separate directions. In a very real way, when Abraham planted that tree and he called upon the name of the Lord, what he was saying is, I believe that Jesus died for me and for my sins. And I believe Jesus lives for me. So that in Jesus' work, I have been transferred from this kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, into the kingdom of the sun. In a very real sense, Abraham is saying, one day in the future there will be another tree upon which my Savior will die. And in believing that, believing in the work of Jesus Christ, believing that he is my Savior, believing, as Paul said, that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, because Christ is the one who gave his life for me. That you choose the path. You choose the path to be in the world and not of the world. You choose the path to wait for the world to come. See, there is a proper understanding of, of being in the world, not of the world. Jesus points to it. Points to it. Um, when he says in John 17, that I don't want you, Lord, to take them out of the world. I want to send them into the world. So maybe a better way of saying uh, Christians are called to be in the world but not of the world would be to add a, a sentence. Christians are to be in the world but not of the world for the sake of the world. Because you see, the reason why we are called to be different in this world is not to separate ourselves, is not to cut ourselves off from this world as much as we possibly can in this life, but it's so that our differences worked in us by the grace of God, our differences worked in us by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, our grace, the grace that worked within us, would be exposed to the world. That the world would come into contact with it. That the world would see it. That the world would begin to be exposed to it. And that God could use that to bring others into the world to come. 
So, you know, there is that bad example of that, um, that mother, the concerned mother that I appreciate, her, the concern that she has about the kind of content that her children watch. Um, and, 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 you know, her, her, her concern that there is really an enemy out there, and that enemy really is trying to uh, deceive our children and to manipulate our children. Um, but there was actually a, another Christian parent, a father, who saw that, um, that post from that woman, and he responded to it in a different way. And I think this way is, is maybe a more appropriate way for us to consider what it means to be in the world and out of the world for the sake of the world, right? Um, or this is also by a mother. As a mother of three who loves Jesus and believes in spiritual warfare and protecting our children from certain mature themes until they emo- they're emotionally ready, I wanted to offer another perspective. She said, we saw the movie last weekend. There are definitely elements of darkness. After all, it's the origin story of Cruella DeVille. It's showing how she came to be who she came to be. And she mentions, you know what else has elements of darkness and themes of good versus evil? The Bible. As we all know, Cruella ends up bad, so there's not a ton of redemption at the end, although there are certainly good guys you can point to throughout trying to help and guide her, but goodness, there are countless lessons. Being careful not to give up any spoilers, these are the conversations that she had with her kids on the way home after watching the same movie. How Cruella's past and the painful things that happened to her created the bad guy we see in the other movies. How she had good in her too, Her hair symbolized the battle of good and evil inside her, but how eventually the darkness won because she didn't take care of her pain in healthy ways. How that pushed away the people who loved and cared about her, isolating her. How she had good people trying to help her, but she wouldn't listen because she was so consumed by hatred. How she cared more about revenge than anything else, and it nearly killed her. How hurt people hurt people and end up making bad choices because of their own trauma and mental illness. How the villain in this movie, the one who's mean to Cruella, could also have an origin story because she probably had horrible things happen to her. How evil is a cycle until someone stops it. So, is it easier to say, Cruella DeVille, bad movie, it has demonic and devilish themes? Probably, yeah, just don't let your kids watch it. By the way, this is not a recommendation for or against this movie. I haven't seen this movie. But this other woman, she's saying, maybe there's a more thoughtful way to expose your kids to a movie like this. Uh, We like to call the game Spot the Lie. Or Where is Jesus in this movie? Now, this is not me saying let your kids watch rated R films. Corellaville, I think, is PG. It's marketed to children. Um... This woman is saying there's a way in which you can watch this movie and learn about sin and the nature of sin and the work of sin in your very own heart and the way Jesus came to bring healing from that. Um, And we can learn from it. We can teach our kids from it. So how are you going to look at being a Christian? in the world and not of the world. I'm I'm hoping that this interaction between Abimelech and Abraham gives us some pointers and shows us that ultimately, yes, 
We do not belong to this world because of Jesus Christ. We do not belong to this world because like Abraham, we call upon the name of the Lord, the eternal God, through Jesus Christ, his son. Yet we are in this world until God calls us home and until God brings that restoration and makes all things new. We are in this world and the mission that we are on is to be for the world, not of the world. To be used by God, to be salt and light in this world, to be a representation of a world to come that is unlike this world in so many ways, that is better than this world in so many ways. How are we in our interactions with non-Christians, in our interactions with the world out there, expressing that, showing that, being that? Christians, we're to be in the world but not of the world, for the sake of the world. Christ has called us to it. May we, in God's mercy and grace, ask the Lord to help us, help us navigate with wisdom how to be in this world and not of it. Help us for the love of Christ and for the sake of those whom he died for who are still in this world. Be on mission. Amen. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for this, your word. Thank you that you have given us a mission in Jesus Christ to be in the world and not of the world for the sake of the world, to be for the world, but not like the world. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give us the grace and the mercy and the wisdom and the discernment to do this. Uh, We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would give grace and wisdom and mercy to the church as an institution as she continues to learn and grow um, in her interactions with the state. But on an individual basis, Lord, we pray that you would help us as Christians um, to grow in our ability to interact with the world in a healthy way, to interact with the world in a way that brings light, that brings salt, that brings good news, um, that brings a representation of the kingdom to come into interactions with the kingdom of this world where people are blessed, where Christ is seen, where hope is given. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.